The reading this morning is Psalm 39. You can find it on the Pew Bibles on page 565. Psalm 39. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased, my heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burnt. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth. For you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. For I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Look away from me that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I don't know if um, the boys know this story. I'm slightly nervous about telling it for reasons that will become obvious. Um, I was 14. I was at school. I remember it really vividly. I was sitting with my back to the window. I was sitting on a green chair. I was polishing my boots. I was in the cadets. And uh, I shared a room with a, a couple of guys uh, called Tim and Nick. Tim was, was quite short. He was five foot something. Uh, even when we were 14, Nick was enormous. He was like six foot three, six foot four. And... Um, uh, the, uh, the uh, you couldn't call it bullying. It had just been they'd just been winding me up all term. It was that kind of constant low grade annoying when someone's deliberately trying to needle you and push your buttons. And they were sitting there that afternoon. They were just flicking a towel in my face and making silly noises. And something snapped, and this red mist came up. And I stood up, and to my and Tim saw it, and he just kind of screamed and ran and hid behind Nick. And to my shame. I punched Nick. I want to go and find a teacher. Uh, the teacher, first teacher I found was a um, former professional Aussie rules player. I said, sir, I think I've, I've broken Nick's nose. And he took one look at it and went, yes. Um, 
And, and the, the point of that story, I mean, it, actually, that story has quite a happy ending. Nick and I are still friends today. Uh, we, um, we got on really well. We did a lot together over the, the, the next uh, four years. But, but the point of that story is not that, that kind of it's okay to punch people or anything like that. Total opposite. The, the, the point is that life is complicated. Because when you ask who was in the wrong in that situation, well, the answer is pretty much everyone. See, we live in a society that wants to say you can divide everyone into victims and victimizers. You've got those who are the oppressors and you've got those who are the sufferers. And if you can position yourself as a victim, you have enormous power. Now, now there are people who really are victims and, and completely blameless in a particular situation. We want to say that really clearly. But, but the, the point is that in real life, normally, the way things work is that when people are sinned against, sinful people like you and me, when we're sinned against, how do we respond? We respond sinfully. Isn't that, isn't that a problem? See, see, boys and girls, you know that, don't you? Have you, ever, have you ever had your brother or sister be really, really annoying? That never happens to any of you, does it? It never happens that your brother, Reuben, your brother or sister are never annoying, are they? Right? And, and they're, they're being so annoying. And then what do you do? You kind of hit a point where you just shout, go away! I hate you! You're ruining my life! All right? Does that, does that ever happen to you? It never happens in the vicarage. Or, or, or mum and dad are saying, stop shouting. Please stop shouting. Please stop shouting! Yeah? yeah. Sinful people respond simply to being sinned against. Who's in the wrong? Nick and Tim were in the wrong. But so was I. Your siblings are in the wrong, so are you. Um, and we, we, David, in, in Psalm 39, that uh, Dorothy's just read to us, talks us through a problem that I take it we all recognize. See, that's, that's a picture there of a volcano. And what happens in a volcano is the pressure builds up. And it builds up, and it looks fine, doesn't it? It's, just, it's a really beautiful mountain. You could go for a walk up it. You, could, you can farm on the slopes of it, and the pressure is building. And the pressure is building. Verse 1, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I'll put a muzzle on my mouth. The muzzle is... It's what you put on the, the mouth of a dog to stop it opening its mouth. And, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm going to muzzle myself. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, as long as the wicked are in my presence, but even when I was silenced and still, not even saying anything good, or uh, might have the sense of kind of didn't do any good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. And as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue and have you been there? You, you may not be the kind of person who shouts at people, but you, you, do you do it in your head? Do you daydream about kind of telling your boss what you really think of him? Letting rip at your, your neighbor? Um, I, um, uh, I could give so many examples from the, just from the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, I was preaching Psalm 37, and I was talking about um, a crook up at Wood Lane who has pretty much bankrupted St. John's. And I was giving an example of kind of getting carried away and using intemperate language and getting steamed up. And I called him an idiot from the pulpit. Really offended some people, kind of rightly. Is that, who's, how do we kind of just keep a muzzle on our tongue? Went to see the bishop on Monday. I think he's acted disgracefully. I, thought he's, I think he's bring, brought disgrace on the name of Jesus. And I don't think what I said to him was untrue, but I interrupted him and I talked over the top of him. It was rude. I didn't show him the respect that's owed to his office. There are so many examples we could give, couldn't we, of how hard it is to keep a control on our tongue. And David in Psalm 39 talks about a time when he managed it. He did it. He kept a, a handle on his tongue. And I take it in that he points us to the Lord Jesus, who is the one who, who always 
kept his tongue perfectly under control. Psalm, uh, sorry, 1 Peter. Uh, Peter said, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And the question I want to ask this morning is, is how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus keep a control on his tongue so he didn't do the volcano thing that I do and blow up? And uh, I take it part of the answer is that he learned Psalm 39 by heart in the truest, deepest sense. He took it into his bloodstream. He followed what um, David did. And Psalm 39, as I said, it's messy. Nikki really helped me with this this morning. We were talking about it, and she's just said it's a messy psalm. And, and the logic isn't clear and tight, but I think what's going on is, is this. Um, David um, says there is a bigger problem than the people who are sinning against you. Have a look at verse 4 if you've got it open. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. And he's not asking you to know what day he's going to die on. He doesn't want a date and time. He just wants to be reminded and remember that there aren't very many of them. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom or shadow as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in, in vain, in breath, it's the same word. Um, he heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. So David says there is a bigger problem than people trying to sin against you. Our smallness is a bigger problem than being sinned against. And uh, um, what's, the, uh, what's the point? Um, he's saying our life is, is like our breath. Now, boys and girls, are you good at catching things? Anyone good at catching things? All right, okay. Um, let's see. Can, you, can anyone catch a ball? I'm not sure I can. Okay. Um, Jesse, can you catch a ball? Okay, we've established we can't. All right, there we go. That, that, that illustration. Um, um, okay. Uh, um, we, um, can, if, I, if I came over to you, though, and if I sneezed on you, sorry, it's a bit of a horrible illustration. If I sneezed on you, do you reckon you could catch a cold? Could you do that? Can you, anyone, everyone, anyone ever caught a cold? All right, okay, if you, were, if you were down the beach, right, and you're being a cool surfer dude, you've grown your hair long, you're kind of just in, topping up your tan, you go surfing, bodyboarding, do you reckon you could catch a wave? Yeah! Anyone ever reckon they could catch a wave? Yeah, Jonas, you reckon you can do it? Okay. Um, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the really weird phrase people use. Do you reckon you could catch your breath? Just try it. Because people talk about needing to catch their breath. Let's practice now for the day when we need it. Can you do it? Can you, can you, get, can you catch it? Anyone do it? How do you catch your breath? It just goes through your fingers. Your, your breath is, is, is just slips away. You can't, you can't hold on to it. And, and the word breath and vanity, um, it comes up again and again. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it comes up three times in this psalm. And David says, your life is like that. Just slips through your fingers. Um, there's a. Um, okay. Let's, 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 Church, they're beautiful, there's loads of them. Right, pop. When you pop them, 
Where are they? Nowhere. Nowhere to be seen. Someone said, some one writer says, what is vanity? Vanity is what is left when you pop a soap bubble. And David says, that is your life. It is beautiful. See, see that's, that's all of our lives. There's so many bubbles. They're beautiful. They're everywhere. They're, 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 they're stunning to look at. And then they're gone. Uh, David says, imagine, imagine the history of time is a, is a line that goes all the way around the world again and again and again and again and again. And how long is your life on that line? You have made uh, our lives a mere hand breadth, um, verse 5. Four fingers. It's, used, it's a measurement that's used in building the temple. That is how big our lives are. I was talking to my dad the other day about, it, about his grandparents, my great-grandparents. And I made notes about it because I wanted to remember it. I wanted to remember their names. I wanted to remember the stories. You know, I've written it down, but I can't even remember what, they, what their names were now. And for most of us, that's where we're going to be. Three, four generations' time, who's going to remember us? Our lives are a shadow, a phantom. Uh, we're just, just, just a hand breath, a, a soapy bubble. And it could be that, that that's what David's saying. Look, that's the answer. When people are winding you up, when Tim and Nick are flicking a, a towel in your face, when your neighbor is playing the music really loud at 2 o'clock in the morning, remember your life is just a phantom. The wicked won't last. You won't last. Not a big deal. I don't think that's the point. His point is not that that is the answer. His, his point is there is a bigger problem. Uh, uh, we live in this world where everything is so transient, so fleeting. What on earth do we do about it? What's the answer? What's the answer? What I don't want? So, we, so we've got the problem is, is the volcano um, in, in my heart that is, is ready to explode. That's the problem. And David doesn't give us the answer at first. He gives us a bigger problem, that we are soap bubbles. So what is the answer? What is the answer? And the extraordinary answer in Psalm 39, I think, is this, that we wait for God to save us from God. We need to wait for God to save us from God. So how did Jesus keep his temper when people were winding him up and saying things that weren't true? Um, how did he not do the volcano thing? Well, he remembered life is fleeting. We live under, in a world that is under the judgment of God, according to the Bible. It's, it's him who has done this. So um, have a listen to how weird these verses are. Verse 7. See if you can tell me what's strange about this. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Don't make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I wouldn't open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. So, so David was silent before other people in verse 2. Now he's silent before God. You rebuke and... Sorry, uh, verse 10. Remove your scourge from me. I'm overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Isn't that strange? Because you have two convictions in those verses. One is that it is God who has put David under judgment. God is the reason that David is suffering. Um, he's the reason that people are making his life difficult. He's the reason that life is fleeting. Um, I'm overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. And so what does David do? He cries out to God to save him. But now what do I look for? My hope is in you. He cries out to God to save him from God. Now, now, I think that makes sense when you think about it. Think about how stories work. Um, where's my clicker? Um, if, um, if you are in Adventure Bay, 
and mere humdinger is making your life a misery. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you are blessed beyond your imagining. Um, uh, mere humdinger is making your life very difficult. Who do you need to come and rescue you? No, who can rescue you from Mayor Humdinger? Who's more powerful and stronger than the Mayor Humdinger? It's the Paw Patrol. Thank you, Angela. What would we do with that? Yeah, so it's the Paw Patrol. They're on a roll, but they're, they're better than Mayor Humdinger. He's just not, he's not very capable, is he? But the Paw Patrol are. Ryder and the Paw Patrol will come and help you. Um, what do you do if, um, if uh, you're struggling with the dark side? Who is more powerful than the dark side, Jonas? Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. And I, oh, I, get, I, get, I get all those Skywalkers so confused. Eh? But if, you're, if the dark side of the fourth is a problem, you, you, need, you need the force, don't you? You need the good guys. You need um, Yoda and, and, and that lot to, to come. Because they're stronger. They're more powerful. Um, uh, what about um, if uh, you're struggling with the Joker in Gotham City and he's making your life really difficult? Who is stronger and better and more powerful than the Joker? Hey, it's Batman. We know that one. I don't, I don't know why he's in an egg cup. Uh, so I had to find... I had to find photos that were copyright free. So it just, you know, just kind of cut me some slack. <laughs> uh, what, if, um, what, if, what if Thanos, I, I'm scraping the barrel here, aren't I? What if Thanos is, is, is kind of destroying half the universe? Who is, more, who is stronger than Thanos, Elodie? No one. No one. Elodie, what were you going to say? What do you need if Thanos is too much? You need the Avengers. If, if you have an enemy who is too big for you, if someone is making your life difficult and they're too, too big and too strong for you, well, well, then you need someone who is even stronger to come and rescue you. So here's the question at the heart of the universe. Uh, from Genesis 3 onwards, if you live in a world that is under the judgment of the living God, who is bigger and stronger than the almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent God? No one. Is exactly the right answer, Jonas. Thank you. There's no one. So who do you turn to? You turn to the God whose judgment you live under, and you cry out for his mercy. And that is what David is, is doing in this psalm. He's, he's crying out for God to help him. And as Jesus sang this song... I take it he's so identified with suffering sinners like us. He knew the horror and heartbreak of living in a world that's been devastated by sin and judgment. And he, it, it took him to the cross, to the place where, as we sometimes sing, wrath and mercy meet. God the Son saves us from God the Son. Jesus' mercy saves us from Jesus' judgment. Verse 12, David prays, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien, as kind of refugee, a stranger, as all my fathers were, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look away from me, that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. See, see David is just daydreaming of what it would be like to live in a world where sin wasn't a problem, where God's wrath was turned away, where sin had been dealt with, where, where other people's sin, uh, Tim and Nick flicking towels didn't happen, Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine didn't happen, where, where the sin in my heart that wants to lash out and lash back didn't happen. Uh, to live in a world where, where life isn't fleeting, where our lives are given meaning and significance. And the difference for us singing this song compared with David, hello, are you going to take Spidey back tomorrow? The difference between David singing this song and us is that, 
is that for us that's happened. That has already happened in the past. Jesus goes to the cross. And we say, look, it was different for Jesus. He, he was, he's God. He's different to us. Well, yes, he is different to us. But he's exactly the same as us as well. He, is, he really is a true man. He knew what it was to be tempted to lash out, and yet he muzzled his tongue. He went to the cross. He spoke not a word. And God at the cross saves us from God. So we live in a world where sin has at the deepest level been dealt with. And until the Lord Jesus returns, yes, we will still live in a world that is full of frustrations. But, but it is no longer true to say we are soap bubbles, that our lives are meaningless and insignificant, because, because the living God has shed his own blood for us. We are indescribably precious to him. Isn't that breathtaking? That, that uh, uh, we live as aliens, refugees, uh, orderly, the Bible says, is not our true home. We look for the city with foundations, as Hebrews puts it. But in a world full of injustice and frustration, when, when our lives are fleeting, what is the answer? It's not to vent. There will be people who tell us that screaming and shouting and, and lashing out is the way to deal with the anger inside us. It might feel good for a moment. The Bible says that's, that, that's only the way to train yourself to be an angry person. What can turn down the thermostat on that volcano inside us? It is remembering that we're... We're fleeting. We have a bigger problem than people winding us up. It is that our lives are so short and fleeting and passing that we cannot fix that. But there is someone who can. Verse 7, now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Amen.